Now while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him, and some said, What does this blabber wish to say? Others said, He seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities, because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling and hearing of something new. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. And even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but he now commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from the midst, but some men joined him and believed, among whom also were Dionysus the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris and others with them. Well, good morning and welcome to the weekly gathering of Christ Community Chapel. My name is Zach, I'm on staff here, and it's my pleasure to spend some time with you, whether you're here in the sanctuary with me or you're watching online or you're over in East Hall. I'm so glad that you're spending some time with us. Before we dive into our sermon series through the book of Acts and the passage Julia just read, I want to remind you that it's November, which means it's time for Thanksgiving baskets. So if you're new here to Christ Community Chapel, every year we fill bins like this with Thanksgiving meals. In fact, enough to feed 10 people. And we fill Northeast Ohio with these bends to people who are in need in order that they might know that we love them and that God loves them and they might have a great Thanksgiving dinner. Our goal this year is 1,400 baskets, uh, which if you do the math means our goal is to feed as many as 14,000 people. And I want to encourage you to participate in this by stopping the atrium and grabbing a basket and then also grabbing this shopping list, which will tell you everything that you need to get. Grab one or two or eight, however many 
you feel led to grab. By the way, if you're watching online, I wouldn't want you to think that you have to miss out on this uh, today and the next few Sundays from 1245 to two. You can swing by this building on Sundays and pick as many bins up as you'd like. Uh, it, you know, I know that, that this is a crazy year and I know that times might be uh, tight for many of you and so the inclination would be to skip this year. But if there's ever a year that people in Northeast Ohio need to be cared for, and need to know that God loves them, it's this year. So really wanna encourage you to not shrink back, but to step up, maybe even do more this year in such a crazy, crazy time where people need to be reminded of God's love. So check that out in the atrium or this afternoon when you swing by the building. Uh, if you have a Bible, go ahead and open it to Acts chapter 17. We're gonna be looking at the passage that Julia just read as we continue our series we're calling Rhythms of the church. And the goal of this sermon series is very simple. It's to show you time and time again in the book of Acts that this reimagined vision that we as a church are launching in January, while in some ways feels very new, it is in other ways very old. In fact, all reimagine is is simply this church taking seriously and localizing the mission of Jesus for the church in all places and in all times and in all seasons. If you remember, we began this sermon series by looking at Acts chapter 1, verse 8, where Jesus says to the apostles and to every Christian after them, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth. And what we're going to look at this morning is what does it mean to be a witness for Jesus? That wherever we find ourselves in the circles we run in, what does it mean to be an effective witness for Jesus? And we're going to look at the Apostle Paul, maybe the most famous Christian outside, of course, of Jesus, and see the example that he gives us as someone who witnesses to, G, or to uh, the, his generation about Jesus. And what I think we're going to find when we look at his example is that there are four things that need to be true of us if we are going to fulfill the mission that Jesus has given us, if we are going to be witnesses for Jesus to the ends of the earth, there are four things that must be true. And I want to hold these out to you as a kind of outline to guide our time together. And the four things go like this. Number one, we must have broken hearts. Number two, informed minds. Number three, courageous spirits. And number four, clear memories. Okay, we must have broken hearts, informed minds, courageous spirits, and clear memories. Let's get started with the first one. We have to have broken hearts. This story begins with Paul in the city of Athens. Now, I don't know what you think of when you think of Athens. I tend to think of my, with my stomach, so I think of a salad with olives and feta cheese and that kind of thing. I don't, I don't know what you think of, but in Paul's day, the city of Athens would have conjured up similar ideas to us thinking about Princeton or, or Yale or Harvard or Stanford or Oxford, Cambridge. It was a city of education. It was a city of, of learning, a city of philosophy. It was where the brightest minds went. 
to learn and to teach. It's a city of famous philosophers that you've heard of and studied in school even thousands of years later. It is a cultural and intellectual epicenter. Now, Paul is there almost by accident. If you have a Bible, you can look at verse 15 and see some friends have dropped him off in the city. And in verse 16, he is waiting for other friends to show up and take him out of the city. So this is just a stopover in his travel. But while he's in the city, he begins to notice the spiritual climate of the Athenian culture. He notices, for example, that they have idols, little statues to various gods all over the city. It's a very religious place, a very spiritual place. And of course, if you know Greek mythology, the thinking was that behind every natural phenomena is a god or a a goddess. And you didn't want that god or goddess to be angry with you. So you would make a statue and you would bring gifts to the statue in the hopes that the god of the sea or the god of farming or the god of love or whatever might bless you. And Paul is walking around the city and he's getting a sense of this. Now, I might just stop and say that uh, I cannot think of a city that would have felt more foreign to Paul than Athens. I mean, after all, Athens was a Greek city. It was a non-Jewish, a Gentile city. Paul is a Jewish man. It was a city full of various religions and various gods and goddesses. But Paul was an avowed monotheist from from his, his birth. It was a city of, of, of sexual proclivity and, and liberal worldviews. Paul was a conservative Jewish man steeped in the Old Testament law. So as Paul's walking through Athens, he is very much so a fish out of water. But I want you to notice that even though that's true, look at how he responds. In verse 16, we're told that his spirit is provoked. His spirit is provoked as he walks through the city and he notices the idolatry and and the liberal worldview and and the sexual mores. His spirit is provoked. Now, it's tempting to think that that word provoked means Paul got angry. That as he was walking through the city, he was saying, oh, those those liberals and all these polytheists and all the Greeks and you know how those people are in their cities. It's, it's tempting to think he was having an us versus them existential crisis, that he was on websites and blogs and social media blasting his enemies and, and, and decrying the state of their cities. But that's not what he was doing. In fact, one of the ways you know that is because in verse 17, he doesn't run from them but he goes to them. His spirit is provoked, so he begins to talk with them. The the idea behind his spirit being provoked is not anger, but sadness. His heart is broken for them. He desires very much so for them to find clarity in the midst of their religious confusion. Now, this is important because what it means is that as Paul walked through the city of Athens, he did not see them as something different or other or the enemy or the other side. Instead, he saw not differences but similarities. After all, Paul had once been religiously confused. 
Paul had once been someone who worshiped not the real God, but his own version of God. Paul had seen what faulty religion and religious confusion can cause in your life and through you in the lives of others. Paul is heartbroken for them because he identifies with them. Now, I I just want to drive this home because if anything defines our culture and Let's be honest, this is a great week to talk about this. If anything defines our culture, it is that we are very quick to circle up us and circle up them. Those liberals, you know how conservatives are. Republicans are the worst. Democrats are going to ruin the the country, so on and so forth. Those people, the way they do things, you know how they are, I have to tell you. That the beginning point of fulfilling the mission of Jesus Christ is that to be a Christian is not at all to see people who are not Christians as our enemies or as what's wrong with the world, but as people for whom our hearts should be broken. Because we know what it's like to be disconnected from God. The foundation of Christian mission is not us versus them, but us brokenhearted for them. It makes me think of the the well-worn preacher story about a man who goes for a walk and he falls in a hole. A little bit later, a Christian comes by and he says, hey, hey, buddy, I'm down here in the hole. Can you help me out? And the Christian says, oh, my goodness, yes, I have a great book for this. Reaches into his bag, grabs a book, tosses it down the hole. The man says, well, you know, I'm in the hole, but I got something to read. A little bit later, another Christian comes by and he says, hey, buddy, can you help me? I'm down in the hole. And the Christian goes, oh, my goodness, yes, I'll pray for you. Writes out a prayer, throws it down in the hole. And the buddy goes, well, at least, you know, at least I got a prayer and a book. I'm still down in the hole. A little bit later, another Christian comes by and he says, hey, buddy, can you help me out? And the Christian looks down in the hole and jumps in. The man goes, what are you doing? Now there's two of us down here. And the Christian says, yeah but I've been down here before and I know the way out. Friends, that is what it means to begin to fulfill the mission of Jesus. Not that we look at a lost world, a confused world, a world at odds with God and we treat them as other or the problem or our enemies, but that we see them as down a hole that we ourselves have been down before. And we desire for them, like we did, to be lifted out. Can I ask you, how is your heart towards the world? Are you buying into the us versus them? Are you spending more time with those who think like you, pointing at those who don't? Or is your heart broken for people who don't know Jesus? We must have broken hearts. But we also, second, must have informed minds. Now, I mean this in two ways. Let me show you the first way. The first way is that when Paul gets a chance to speak, he begins to reason with people, which is a fancy way of saying they talked. If you want to sound sophisticated, then today after lunch, when you get home and somebody says, how was lunch? You can say it was great. We reasoned the whole time. You'll sound 
super sophisticated, but all it really means is he began to talk with people. He began to talk with Jewish people in the synagogue and Gentile people in the marketplace. And eventually people were saying, this guy has some interesting things to say. Let's, let's give him a platform and a stage and let's hear him. And when Paul launches into his sermon, do you know what he tells them? Well, as Pastor Joe would say, he tells them square, triangle, triangle, square. He speaks to them of a creator who made them and ought to be worshiped. He speaks to them of sin and throwing off the creator and wanting to do things their own way and the judgment they will face as a result. He speaks to them of the man who God sent to live in their place and die in their place and raise from the dead and how if they grab hold of that man in faith, they can be forgiven and made friends of God. The first thing is simply this. We cannot reach our world. We cannot fulfill the mission of Jesus unless we know the story in which we believe. Unless we're able to articulate the message of Jesus to the world. But that message is the same whether it's 2,000 years ago in the city of Athens or it's today in downtown Hudson or Twinsburg or Stowe or Akron or Cuyahoga Falls or wherever you're from, the message is this. There is a God who loves us. And though we've sinned against him, he sent his only son to live in our place and die in our place and raise from the dead. That is our message. That will always be our message. By the way, if you're here this weekend and you're not a Christian, can I challenge you as you consider Christianity to consider that message? You know, my heart breaks for so many of you who tend to throw away Christianity because of the Christians you've encountered or the churches you've been to, but those things are not the center of Christianity. The center of Christianity is the message of Jesus. Let me give you an example that I hope will make sense. My favorite restaurant in Northeast Ohio is this little hole-in-the-wall Cajun place in Cleveland. And it's an interesting place. In fact, there's an actual Yelp review of the place that reads like this. I was there for four hours. The owner is crazy, totally worth it. And that's the most accurate Yelp review I've ever read in my entire life. I love the place. The food is amazing. I have been there for four hours and I would sit for six if that's what it took to get the food. But you know, sometimes when I'm there, people will come and it's a small place and they're often overwhelmed. Wonderful people, but they're often overwhelmed. Demand exceeds their ability to meet it. And people will come and sit at a table and no one will speak to them for 10 or 15 minutes and they'll get up and leave. And I guess I get that if I had never been to a restaurant and, and I walked in and no one talked to me for 10 minutes, I might leave. But here's what I know. If they just stuck it out, the food would be worth it. Listen, if you're here and you're not a Christian, don't let the service or the window dressing keep you from considering whether the food is worth it. Consider, weigh out the gospel of Jesus, this good news. Do you believe that? Wrestle with that. But if you're here and you're a Christian, here's the second way we have to have an informed mind. We don't just need to know the gospel. We need to know the people with whom we desire to share it. 
Listen, it's not just that we know the message, but we spend time with the people around us in order that we might learn what it is they believe, what their questions are, what their objections are. When you read this passage, that is what Paul does. For example, he begins his entire sermon by saying, hey, as I was walking around, I noticed you have all these statues to various gods. I noticed that you're very religious, but I also noted something, noticed something else. You have one little statue in the corner over there that says to the unknown God. He says, I I realize that that's your way of saying you may not have thought of everyone and that you created kind of a junk drawer God in case you left somebody out and you don't want to make them mad, so you, you make this little statue to an unknown God. Well, that's the God that I came to talk to you about. And he weaves this whole sermon speaking directly to their fear that they've missed God. And that's his whole sermon because that's the question that's on their mind. And twice in verse 28, he not only preaches this to them, but two different times in verse 28, he quotes their own poets to them. In other words, Paul, this conservative Jewish guy hanging out in a liberal Greek polytheistic city, doesn't just spend time observing them. He spends time talking to them. He spends time listening to them. He says, that's an interesting thought. Where did you get that from? Do you have a copy of that book that I could read? I'd love to hear more about your views on this unknown God. Paul stands in front of them, not just informed of the gospel, but informed of their particular and unique challenges and questions and objections to the gospel. Friends, can I tell you that individual people matter to God? Individual people are made in the image of God. And individual people have unique stories and experiences and questions and doubts and objections. And I don't care how well we know the Bible until we are willing to listen to those things, to really get to know them, to understand them. We are not ready to effectively be witnesses for Jesus in their lives. Christians have a reputation for talking the whole time in a conversation. But we must listen and ask questions and understand. We cannot shrink from culture and think we know people, think we understand them, think we understand their objections, think we have good answers. We have to spend time with them. Listen, if you're here and you're not yet a Christian, I want you to know something. You are not a faceless, nameless, storyless person to God. He knows your individual story. He knows your name. He knows your experiences. He knows your doubts. He knows your challenges. He knows your insecurities. And he desires for his one true message to be shared with you in a way that takes seriously all that you are. And that's what we want here at Christ Community Chapel. And I'm sorry that we are not always great at that. So, Brothers and sisters in Christ, that family member, that friend, that colleague, that classmate, that coworker that you want so badly to come to faith in Jesus, can I ask you something? How well do you understand them? How much talking do you let them do? 
How many questions do you ask? In order that you might bring them the one gospel in a unique way that's just for them. That's what Paul does here. He preaches a sermon that he would only preach in Athens because they are a particular people in a particular place at a particular time. The third thing you see in Paul's example to us as a witness is his courageous spirit. I have to tell you, this passage is a real encouragement to me as a preacher because Paul does a masterful job of researching the city and getting to know the people and bringing the gospel to them in an interesting and relevant way. I mean, it's an amazing sermon, and I, I'm sure you're reading it thinking, why can't we get something more like this? And, and I don't know. That's a good question. Touche. It's a great sermon. But if you notice, the result of the sermon is not what you'd expect. In fact, if you jump all the way to the end of the sermon in verse 32, here's what it says. Now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. In the original language, that carries the idea that they laughed him off the stage. That they thought what he was saying was so crazy and so silly that they found it laughable. Listen, can I tell you, we will never be the witnesses we need to be for Jesus unless we are willing to be laughed at. Unless we're courageous enough to say, here's what we believe, there's one God and we've all sinned against him and he's made one way that we can be reconciled and that is he came as a man born to a virgin, he lived a sinless life, he died a sacrificial death, he rose from the dead three days later, ascended into heaven, sits at the right hand of God, and one day he's coming back on a horse in the sky. There's like 19 things to laugh at there if you want to. But that is our message. Friends, there's no path forward to seeing people in Hudson and Stowe and Twinsburg and Cuyahoga Falls and to the ends of the earth come to know Jesus unless you and I are willing to be laughed at for his name. They're going to call us narrow-minded. They're going to call us exclusive. They're going to call us all kinds of things that are even worse than that. And yet, in the words of Martin Luther, what can we do but say, here I am, I can do no other. This is the message. This is the truth. This is the way. Are you willing you're willing to lose your status. You're willing to get a few less invites. But I want you to see something. The courage that we need comes from one place, and that is that even though they may laugh at us, God always gets the last laugh. Buried in the end of this story are a couple of names. I want you to look at them with me. Verse 34 or 33 says, So Paul went out from their midst. They laughed him off the stage. But some men joined him and believed, among whom also were Dionysus the Areopagite. Now, I know that name doesn't mean anything to you, right? You might as well say Steve the plumber or Joe the butcher. But did you know that Dionysus the Areopagite, history tells us, becomes the first bishop of the church in Athens? He will go on to become the leader in all of Greece for the Christian church. Now, when Paul leaves that day, he's failed. They've laughed him off the stage, and yet God is doing something no one knew that is going to build the entire church in Greece. Friends, let me tell you something. If you and I are willing to be laughed at, God will never stop doing great things. We may not see them. We may not know. 
but he'll be there doing these things. We have to be people of courageous spirits. Now, if you're tracking so far, you're going, wait a minute. Jesus gave us a mission. And in order to keep that mission, we, here's all we have to do. We have to have broken hearts, informed minds, and courageous spirits. In other words, in order to fulfill the mission of Jesus, we have to be super Christians. Like, I don't know, like Paul. That's quite a standard. And that's fair. That's fair. And that brings me to my fourth point, which is to say, we have to have clear memories. How does Paul become this kind of man? How does he become the kind of man whose heart is broken in Athens, whose mind is informed on Greek culture and the Bible, whose spirit is courageous? That doesn't begin in Athens. You know where that begins, don't you? It begins on the road to Damascus. Because you see, it's only because Jesus was all these things for Paul that Paul can be all these things for Athens. It's only because Jesus' heart was broken for Paul, broken enough that he would leave heaven and come to earth, broken enough that he would show up on the road to Damascus. It's only because the Holy Spirit spoke to Paul in an informed way, speaking right into his mind and right into his heart in order that he might believe the gospel, saying exactly what he needed to hear when he needed to hear it, that Paul is a Christian. It is only because of the courageous spirit of Jesus who set his face to the cross and gave his life for Paul that Paul is a Christian. Friends, let me tell you something. The hope of the mission of Jesus is not that you and I be super Christians. The hope of the mission of Jesus is that we maintain clear memories as to what Jesus himself has already done for us. What he's already done for you. If you're here and you're a Christian, is it not because Jesus' heart was broken for you? If you're here and you're a Christian, is it not because in, in, in a moment or a series of moments, you heard the gospel in a way you had never heard it, in a way that it answered the deepest questions of your heart and of your mind? Is it not because Jesus said the night he was arrested, not what I want, but what you want, God, in great courage and went to the cross? Friends, what fuels Christian mission is a memory that Jesus is only asking from us what he's already done for us. And if he has worked that out in your life, why would you think he won't do the same in the lives of those around you? Have you forgotten? I hope not. Would you remember today the great love and courage and informed mind and broken heart that Christ has shown for you? And might that propel us forward into the mission that he's given us? Let's pray. Father God, we stand in awe of you as the great witness to what you have done. There is not a single person in this room who calls themselves a Christian.
who is a Christian for any other reason than this, you have loved them. You have spoken truth to them. You have done all that is necessary to rescue them. God, might that encourage us and inspire us to step into our own Athens, whatever that might be, and to declare lovingly, convincingly, courageously that all who look to Jesus can be saved. In his name we pray, amen.